Welcome to Tech Talk. Bye. CDT. Welcome to CDT's Tech Talk, where we dish on tech and internet policy while also explaining what these policies mean to our daily lives. I'm Brian Wozolowski, and it's time to talk tech. To kick off the new year, we are sitting down with the newest member of CDT's team, Katerina Kopp. Katerina is the new director of CDT's Data and Privacy Project, which is the new name of our old Consumer Privacy Project. And by the way, we are going to be rolling out a refresh brand soon. So yes, we have a lot of newness at CDT already in 2016. Katerina joined CDT after an extended stint at American Express, leading their global privacy risk management program. She also has impressive digital rights advocacy chops, having worked at or for the Health Privacy Project, the Benton Foundation, the Center for Media Education, the Bertelsmann Foundation, and the Aspen Institute. That is quite the list. Welcome to Tech Talk, Katerina, and of course, welcome to CDT. Well, thank you very much. I'm so glad to be here. So you actually started just before the new year. You've been here, I guess, a month now, something like that. What has been the most wonderful, refreshing thing that you've discovered about CDT since being here? Well, really no surprise, the staff is just amazing. The folks Especially here, me. Everybody is very <laughs> friendly, especially you. No, oh, but really it. everybody is very friendly. And um, really people are just incredibly smart. I think everybody knows that, but when you actually meet people, um, it just is very impressive. And I think also a surprise to some people who might not know CDT that well is the breadth and depth of topics that, that CDT covers. I thought it's just privacy. A lot of people probably think that, but obviously it's much broader. The, the free expression, the government surveillance, the internet architecture piece, um, and really just not just focusing on the US, but globally. So it's a really a privilege to be here and work with such a smart team that covers these important topics. I wish more people had that view of CDT. You know, it takes a, bit, a while, but it seems like people know us for one issue or another. And so many of these tech issues that we work on, it's it seems as though they need to be informed by all these perspectives. That's so. right. They all have an impact on each other. So that's why we do podcasts like these. We get to share that view. So this is a, a return to the advocacy world for you, as I kind of listed off in your little intro bio there. What was it that really motivated you to, you know, leave the corporate setting and come back to almost your roots in advocacy? Yeah. Well, actually, I would like to think of myself as always being an advocate. So regardless of the setting, um, I, I think of myself as an advocate, and I think most privacy professionals who work in the private sector um, always know and feel that they're advocating for privacy, for best practices. So that's what I've, what I've done for the last 10 years at a large global um, financial services company. Um, but it's true, after a while I felt that my insights and my skills um, should best be used again in the public policy space. And bef because I feel that this topic, privacy, data practices, is so central to, to really our times and um, to the future, I think, of our society that I felt it was important to be engaged again and not just implement policy, but actually shape the rules of the game. So let's go to that a little bit. I mean, we just changed the name of the project itself from consumer privacy to uh, data and privacy, or privacy and data. I forget which one's coming first. Uh, <laughs> not a good sign. Privacy and data. Project. There we go. So what are some of the things under, you know, with this kind of new frame that you're hoping to explore um, that may be a little bit different than what CDT used to do in the past, just under the consumer privacy lens? Yeah, yeah, I'm glad you're, you're asking. Um, I think this is not so much a radical shift, but it's a little bit more a sh uh, shift in emphasis, and I think it's already what the team started doing, and we just sort of 
making it more explicit. So we felt that the, the focus just on the consumer is too narrow, but we really need to look at privacy and data practices and their impact on the individual and all her um, activities in society, whether she's a consumer, a citizen, a voter, a patient, a student. Um, so really um, looking at, at the whole um, gamut of issues. And then also looking at not just the impact on the individual, the consumer, but also broader on society. So we, we want to sort of pursue the question on how, how is the questions of equity affected by these data practices. And then I think also the focus just on privacy and personal data is um, again a little too narrow. We'd like to look at data and, and discriminatory data practice generally. Um, and um, it's important to look at privacy and personal data, but um, even if individuals are um, I not identifiable, they can still be reached in a sense, and so important decisions and implications can, can be made, profiles can be made about them that have significant impacts uh, on them and society at large. So just sticking with the, with the focus on personal data is to now to really get Could you expand on that a little bit? I'm intrigued by that. You know, what sort of things are you going to be looking into around that kind of broader perspective? Yeah, I mean, like if you just think about profiling, right? Um, we in in marketing, it's not just uh, you know whether we know exactly whether an individual has behaved in a certain way. It is you know whether we can uh, uh, reach a person because they cookies are placed on them, and we can market certain products to them. So, um, if we're just sort of focusing, oh, we just de-identify data, and we you know we're we're good to go. I think that's too narrow. So we need to really look at. So essentially, you're saying that decisions are made about an individual whether they opt in or not, and whether it's identifiable data or not. So kind of going deeper into that lens beyond yeah. just de-identification. Yeah, and I think another good example also is um, that um, you know sometimes um, an individual might decide, yes, I opt in to use personal, to have my data being used, but an individual that is just like that person who opted out um, will still be affected by that decision of the first individual. And so they will be sort of profile in a similar way. Um, and so that I think that gets at issues that are beyond strictly privacy and, and the use of personal data. Cool. So what are, you know, you kind of talked in the broad about a lot of the issues we're going to explore. Are there any specific projects or initiatives that you're planning in 2016? Yeah, sure. I mean, I'm still, as you said, new, very yeah. new here. We'll give you time to make some choices That's here. Right. Right? And, <laughs> and I, I really feel like it's important to listen and to really understand all the great projects the, the team is working on and to, to talk to our partners and to the policy community in general what, what some of these sort of really important issues are. So I'm, I'm still a little bit in listening mode, but obviously we are making plans for this year. Um, and given that we still don't have a baseline privacy legislation, we will be busy. That'd be a nice thing to have. Huh? <laughs> we will be busy. Uh, you know, we continue to be involved in drone drones issues, a debate uh, debate on wearables, workplace. Uh, they are, these continue to be important topics. Another um, area that will be coming up is the, um, the FCC, the Federal Communications Commission's rulemaking on broadband privacy which we believe is a really important topic and a great opportunity to, to ensure that consumer privacy protections are in place. What, when you say broadband privacy, what do you mean? I think a lot of people don't necessarily think of their broadband and privacy and how they you know, connect. You know, right, I'm so this is really the, the providers of broadband internet access services. So that's anything from fixed and mobile telephone, cable, satellite television. They all provide 
um, access to, to the internet and the, and the privacy protections have been not very uh, clear um, or really sort of codified. And um, really individuals cannot, if they want to engage in the internet, they cannot avoid interacting with these service providers. And we want to make sure that the, the personal information um, that they either provide as account information or as part of their interaction or you know moving around on the internet, all this data um, should be protected in, in a transparent way. Yeah, in a lot of ways, that's the scarier side of it. The the um, last part that you covered there, like your internet traffic, like mm -hmm. what are you going to, what are you visiting, you know, all that sort of stuff. Right. You know, sure, the account information you have, just like a lot of your account information with any service provider or company you interact with is important and has a lot of personal information. Right. But gosh, when you think about like where you're going, what times of days you're, days you're visiting, different sites and all that information, gosh, that could tell a lot about you, especially as we're all, you know, connected through multiple devices and kids are connected. So not so, something I actually thought too much about, but now I'm definitely thinking yeah. about it. So I think, <laughs> I think it's exactly the point, and it really goes again, sort of, it's almost beyond privacy. It's go, it has an impact on, on free speech again, on discriminatory data practices that, that we need to uh, pay attention to. Um, and, and if it's not done well, it really can have a chilling effect on the use of the internet, sure. which we know is such an important tool. Yeah, so one of the, um, I have the joy of looking at strategic plans across the organization, and I noticed that you were considering doing a project around elections and privacy. Can you like, I know you haven't like fleshed this one out yet, but what are some of the issues uh, in terms of privacy and presidential elections that, you know, Ways to come yeah. to your mind, or that you're thinking about exploring. Yeah. I mean, just just uh, just the same way as uh, data um, and these practices that we're concerned with in the commercial space, they are becoming, as we all know, incredibly important in the in the electoral campaigns. Um, and so we should really explore what this means for our democratic process. Are there the similar risks that um, certain um, individuals or groups are marginalized? Uh, what does it mean for the kinds of topics that uh, the political campaigns um, bring to the surface? If they know um, certain people will not vote, they might, you know, avoid talking about topics. Sure. So I think really thinking that through um, is is worthwhile, and I look forward to working with. I know that academics work on these issues and really sort of have a discussion on it and exploring it. Very cool. So let's let's come to let's talk about privacy in general. I mean, I remember. Um, you know, when we were looking to fill this position, one of the, the conversations we were even having internally is, you know, is privacy the right word? You know, is it something like, is that a frame that just is outdated and, and not useful in terms of like advancing policies around data and whatnot? What's your take on like privacy in the digital age? Is privacy dead? Is privacy the right word? What do you think about that? I mean, clearly privacy is not dead, certainly <laughs> not dead uh, f for me. Um, and I think most of us, um, you know, there's been, we know all the, the work that's been done, how important privacy in, is, and how I think we all individually, intuitively know that it's important to us and to, to society at large. And just because it might be difficult to really get at um, doing a good job in regulating privacy, and as I said, other data practices, doesn't mean we shouldn't try. Um, I think it is a challenge, I think it is difficult, um, but I think it's a very important uh, a task. Um, I think I think you brought up sort of also the, the issue of framing, and I think it's really important to pay more attention to how the policy um, debate is being framed, and that if we just focus on 
just, right, on privacy and the individual and sort of the individual having to make all these decisions, I think we're losing um, important aspects of really looking at the um, underlying processes and the larger processes. So I think for us it's important to um, draw the connection between you know, individual actors but also our collective uh, responsibility to, to shape the policy in the, in the right way. Um, so that's, that's, I think, it's been important, yeah. So in talking about framing, there's also, you know, in your space, two terms thrown around all the time. The Internet of Things and Big Data. Which one drives you more crazy and why? <laughs> I mean, it's true. These are both sort of interesting attempts at maybe less successful uh, than, <laughs> than some um, uh, to, to frame the debate. Um, yeah, I mean, Big Data, I've always been confused about. It's, it's been used in so many different contexts, and everybody has their own definition for it um, and obviously big means great and bigger and better and while we all agree that there's uh, you know really important applications of big data I think we we need to pay attention to some of the negative um, consequences or effects of, of the practices to me it's um, it's, it's like a big data is, is a paradigm it's about this notion that um, knowledge can be derived from from data and that conclusions from large data sets can be uh, drawn inductively, and I think there's some, uh, you know, concerns with that. Really thinking that through, whether these this is always making sense, um, and so yeah, these terms are rich, <laughs> and um, I'll be I'll be probably elaborating on that in the future. And bigger doesn't always mean better, right? No. So, <laughs> um, so let's let's get a little bit more to the the you, the personal you here a little bit. Okay. You are now our second PhD oh. at CDT. I always find it fascinating, joining our chief technologist, Joe Hall, I always find it fascinating to ask, you know, what was your thesis on? I mean, it, oftentimes it's not related to your work at all. So. No, so yeah, let me try to make a connection. It is actually a little bit removed, but not that much. So okay. I, yes, I do have a PhD from the University of Pennsylvania, Annenberg School for Communication. And I was actually looking at uh, the idea of how uh, ideas become dominant ideas in the policy-making space. Ah. So looking at the role of private philanthropic foundations in uh, supporting um, nonprofit organizations in the communications policy-making process at the FCC. So I was looking at the years from, I think, from 1960 to 1985 and looked at how the term the public interest was defined and how it changed over time. And I was able to actually show that there was sort of a, a lag between foundations funding nonprofits and, and scholars and research and how that term has shifted. And it actually, it's interesting, it shifted from this sort of focus on a community diversity and, and equity and how it was defined then to more of a focus to freedom and efficiency. Hmm. Um, and so the dominant frame became that, that the market and the efficient market was solving most of these broadcasting policy issues. And to bring it to our day, I think not that much has changed. And I think it's really important to always be aware of how policy issues are being framed and to say, yeah, there's another side to it. We can look at it quite differently. And, and enrich the discussion as well. Interesting. And I will just take this opportunity to thank all of our foundation funders That's to right. CDT. Without you, we would not be here and doing the work that we do. So thank you for that. Um, so finally, you've also lived kind of all over the place. You lived in the US, obviously, Germany, France, the UK, and also traveled quite a bit. So which is the best place to live? I mean, I think DC is pretty great. And what's your favorite place to travel on holiday? So DC is great. I <laughs> really enjoy um, 
bring back here and really it's such a green city has so many uh, opportunities to walk and bike I used to be an avid uh, uh, road biker before I moved to New York and that then became that would be a suicidal <laughs> proposition so I stopped doing that um, but yeah I'm glad to be back here and being able to get back on my bike in terms of travel, I really, it's a simple answer is like where family is, is where I like to travel. And that actually happens to be, you know, Europe or Germany, but also France. But it also includes places like Arkansas, believe it or not. Oh my goodness. So yeah, I've been around uh, in the United States and Good. I've, I've traveled there. So, but um, in the end, I do love to come back to Berlin, which is where I grew up. It's a fantastic city and I enjoy going back there. It is a cool city and I remember one time where I walked across the, like I felt like the entire city from East Berlin to West Berlin and I had a friend with me who did not much enjoy walking so t still to this day he uh, tells me about our trek across Berlin and is angry about walk, it. Yep. It was a good walk though. It's a beautiful city. So thanks so much for joining Tech Welcome Talk Katarina. Back. We're so excited to have you here. Excited to see the work you do in this project and hopefully once you get more settled in we'll have you back on and you can talk you know, about one issue perhaps. Great, look forward to it. Thanks, Brian. That's all for this episode of Tech Talk. Be sure to check out all of CDT's work on privacy and data at cdt.org. As always, tweet us any questions you have or topics you'd like us to cover to at Tech. I'm Brian Wozolowski. Thanks for listening.